0: So Genesis chapter 25 is where we're at today, midpoint of the book of Genesis. You know, honestly, uh, a couple days ago, yesterday, I think I mentioned to Dennis, you know, I think I'm going to do two uh, chapters this Thursday. That was wishful thinking. We're going to get through this chapter and and call it a day. But um, anyway, Genesis chapter 25. Verse 1, Abraham again took a wife, and her name was Keturah. So in Genesis 23, we saw Sarah died. She's been dead now for somewhere around 20 years. And here in Genesis 25, we see Abraham, he takes a new wife. The Bible tells us that if your spouse dies, you're free to remarry. We looked at this last week. It's very clear, though, it says that you're only free to remarry within the Lord, Um, believers are not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. But we see here, uh, Abraham, he's taking a new wife. Her name is Keturah. Her name actually means incense. And so I just imagine that she's just, you know, a comforting, sweet smelling aroma to Abraham in his old age. Verse two, and she bore to him Zimram, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan begot Sheba and Dedan, and the sons of Dedan were Asherim, uh, Lutushim, and What <laughs> Boy, these names, they crack me up, huh? And the sons of Midian were Ephah, Epher, Hanok, Abadah, and Elda. All these were the children of Keturah. You know, if you want to have a, a neat conversation, um, if you enjoy interesting conversations, you ever meet a person that's of an Arab descent, ask him, what makes an Arab an Arab? Most people would say, well, Arabs are descendants of Ishmael. And that's the common view. And uh, to the greater degree, that is true However, Sheba and Dedan, Midian, uh, the Saudi Arabians and the Kuwaitis, they have no tie at all to Ishmael. They're sons of Keturah, Abraham's second wife. And they're not, if if an Arab is someone who's descended from Ishmael, then those guys aren't Arabs. The descendants of Ham include Mizrim. Remember, we saw it like in uh, Genesis chapter... What was it? Five? Ten? I forget right now. But anyway, Mizraim, uh, that's, that's uh, Egypt. Egyptians aren't Arabs. Um, and it goes on. The Chaldeans or the Iraqis, they're not really Arabs. The Kurds, the Turks, they're not Arabs because they don't come from that descendant to Ishmael. They're from their descendants of Ham. And it seems like being an Arab, I've spoken to Arabs about this. And you know what they've told me? They said, you know, being an Arab is really more of a lifestyle and a belief than anything else. I thought that was really interesting. But If you ever have a chance, have that conversation with an Arab person, you know, it's it's an interesting conversation. Verse 5, and Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. Isaac was the son of promise through Sarah. And notice it says that Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac, his son. He gave everything to him. And again, the painting that God has begun painting where Isaac is this type of Christ, That painting, uh, it continues in this chapter. And we see first, uh, we see that all things of the father were given to him. John 3.35 says the father loves the son, speaking of Jesus Christ, and has given all things into his hand. Verse 6, but Abraham gave gifts to the sons of the concubines, which Abraham had. And while he was still living, he sent them eastward away from Isaac, his son, to the country of the east. What Abraham is doing is he's separating the sons of his concubines from the son of promise. Abraham gives all of his wealth to Isaac. Uh, He gives him the land that God has promised to him. And the way he ensures that Isaac will inherit that land is he sends his other sons away. He gave them gifts. He provided for them also, but he sends them away. It says that Abraham had concubines. So what's a concubine? You know, in that culture, a concubine is something a little bit different than maybe what you might think. A concubine was a servant girl for Abraham um, who he bore children by. And that day, uh, a concubine held a respectable place in the family. She was looked up to. Uh, her, she was looked up by her husband. She looked up to by her husband. She was looked up to by her children. And, um, you know, other concubines would have looked up to Keturah also. You know, it's hard to understand, but this was a practice of the day. <clears throat> And if you look at the cross-reference, 1 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 32, you read that Keturah was actually one of Abraham's concubines. Abraham actually takes one of his concubines and marries her after Sarah dies. Well, geez, how is it that God allowed Abraham to have a wife and concubines? And this is a problem for a lot of people as they're reading through this. They say, how, how could this be? Well, what appears to be happening here again is Abraham is messing up this picture that God wants to paint, right? God wanted to paint uh, this picture through Abraham's life of a man who loved his only son, Genesis 22, and took his son to Mount Moriah to offer him as a sacrifice there. And uh, it was the same mountain that Jesus would be sacrificed on 2,000 years later, and God painting this picture of a man who would offer his only son there on Mount Moriah. And then on the third day, uh, the son would um, live again in the eyes of the father. And so we looked at this when we studied through Genesis 22, but it's a picture God's wanting to paint, and it's a picture that Abraham seems to be marring. He's messing up this picture when he went into Hagar and uh, had a son with her. Culturally in that day, you know, it was acceptable to to have concubines, but it marred the picture that God was actually painting. It's very likely that Abraham picked up this worldly practice of raising up sons through a concubine when he was down in Egypt where he uh, acquired Hagar as Sarah's handmaid. Don't forget, Egypt's always a type of the world in the Bible. And maybe it's there also that Abraham picked up this practice of having multiple concubines while he was down there in Egypt. It was a worldly practice. Everyone was doing it. It was acceptable in that day, but it was not according to God's word. It was contrary to God's word. God's word from the beginning was that a man should have one wife, we need to understand that that's God's plan. Uh, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, Genesis 2:24. <clears throat> He's not to be joined to his wives. He's not to be joined to his wife and concubine or concubines, right? He's to be joined to his wife. And we need to understand, just because the Bible Reports an event, it doesn't mean that God condones or approves of those events. Just because we read Abraham had concubines, it doesn't mean that God approved of that practice. The Bible here is just recording the events of Abraham's life. And we notice there in verse six, it says that Abraham had concubines, plural. Keturah was one of his concubines, but he had others also, according to verse six. And we read that he had six sons, seven grandsons and three great grandsons all through Keturah, his second wife. Who knows how many other sons he had through the other concubines. They were all sent away, though, to the east so that they would be removed from Isaac. Verse seven. This is the sum of the years of Abraham's life which he lived, 175 years. Thinking back over Abraham's life, you can't miss that it was, you know, a miracle that Abraham even had kids, right? Uh, God seemed to have supernaturally renewed him like he renewed Sarah. You know, at 100 years old, he has Isaac, uh, through Sarah. And it seems that in that renewed state, uh, he had all kinds of kids. But even so, again, we can't miss the fact that just because God's word reports this doesn't mean that God has approved it. Abraham mars this picture that God wants to paint through his life. We just need to understand that. We need to see that. God has a plan. Verse 8, then Abraham breathed his lath, last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Abraham has been a pilgrim and a sojourner uh, in the land now for a hundred years. He's ready to go. He's happy to go. He had been looking for the city, which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God, for an entire century now. For every one of us, It's not important how we begin our race. What's important is how we finish our race. And Abraham, he is finished well. It says he died in a good old age. You know, uh, just recently I was listening to this pastor uh, teaching a Bible study. And uh, in contrast to God's people, he says Satan has no happy old men or Happy old women. I found that kind of interesting. But here we read that Abraham died in a good old age, an old man and full of years. And it's interesting to note that the Hebrew doesn't actually say uh, full of years. If you look at your Bible, if you're reading the King James, New King James, um, you'll see that, that of years is in italics, right? It just says, The Hebrew says that Abraham died in a good old age, an old man and full is what it says. The idea is he had a full life. He was satisfied in life. He was satiated in life. He walked with the Lord all of his life and he was satisfied. You know, I'm sure he would have said, look at all that God has done for me. I couldn't live another day. I just don't have enough room in my life to take another day of blessing. Isaac, look at what God has done in my life since he called me uh, to leave Ur of the a 100 years ago. Look at what he's done. Look at the promises he has made. And don't you just long to live your life walking with the Lord in such a way that at the end of your life, you're so full of God's goodness, you just can't live another day. You know, you're just just full. You're just satisfied. You're just satiated with life. Seeing the hand of God on you and carrying you through those hardships of life. Seeing God's blessing so incredibly in your life. How I desire to be spent for Jesus to uh, to experience that kind of life. Only those people who are walking closely to the Lord through all the years of life, you know, are at peace. They're experiencing joy. They're ready to see Jesus looking forward with anticipation and certainty when they come to the end of their race. And soon they're going to be with their Savior. Man, that's that's the way I want my life to end up, just satiated, satisfied, joy and peace, just looking forward with certainty to seeing my Savior. And it says Abraham was gathered to his people. That is going to be the story of each one of us. There's going to be a day coming when we're going to breathe our last breath here on earth and we'll be gathered to our people The question is, is who is your people and where are you going to be gathered together with them? Are your people the people of God? Are your your people the, the family of God? Are you part of the family of God? Are you going to be gathered to the people of God who are in heaven? Or are you going to be gathered to the people who rejected the Messiah, the people that rejected Christ, And now they're in hell. All of us are going to breathe our last breath one day. You know, we live in a very uncertain world. I mean, you turn on the news, you see all the chaos that's going around uh, us, all around us, just chaos and riots and and uncertainty. Um, You know, it's very unsettling, isn't it? I mean, I've talked to more people probably the last six months Than I've ever talked to before that said, you know, I just can't watch the news. I just can't watch it. It it, it gets me just so worked up. Uh, Fear, you know, anxiety coming out of it. You know, I want to make sure if today's the last uh, day I breathe my last breath, I want to know where I'm going to be gathered to. I want to know to what people I'll be gathered to. And if you don't know that that where you're going to be gathered to, you don't know, you can know tonight. It's something that God wants you to know. He wants you to know that you're a part of the family of God, that you're of the people of God. And you can know for certain tonight through placing your faith in Jesus Christ. If you don't know that tonight, the fact that you're listening to this study, you know what? Consider that a divine appointment. You can be assured that if you were to die tonight, you would go to heaven and be uh, with the family of God. And God wants you to to be sure of that. He wants that to be a settled issue in your heart tonight. He wants you to to believe upon Jesus Christ so that you would become part of the family of God. If you ask Jesus to come into your heart and forgive you of your sins, God will wash you, your sins away, in the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's only through faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ that you can be saved. He will send His Holy Spirit to take up residence in your heart and His Spirit will bear witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. And, you know, that just might be a word for a few individuals who are, or, who are watching tonight. It may be for that very purpose that you're watching tonight. This could be the night that you would be saved. You know what? I'd encourage you, give your heart to Christ. Have your name written in the Lamb's book of life so that uh, the question of where you're going to be spending eternity would be settled here tonight. And if God is moving on your heart, boy, I encourage you, hey, don't ignore that. You know, don't reject the work of the Holy Spirit in your life tonight. You know, people, they want to do it. They're afraid to ask Christ. They don't know. What my friends going to think? You know, forget about that. Surrender. Settle the issue tonight as to where you would be gathered together when you breathe your last breath, when What people you'd be gathered to when you die. Verse 10, uh, sorry, verse 9, And the sons of Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah, which is before Mamre, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite, the field which Abraham purchased from the sons of Heth. There Abraham was buried, and Sarah his wife. Remember at the end of Genesis 23, Uh, Sarah was buried here in this cave, and now they're laying Abraham to rest next to his sweetheart. I mean, it's so interesting. It's a beautiful story, but it's so interesting how funerals have a way of bringing people together. The last time we saw uh, Isaac and Ishmael together is uh, when Ishmael was uh, persecuting uh, Isaac before he was sent off into the wilderness. Now, because of their dad's death, we see them together again. And there appears to be some sort of reconciliation between the two of them. It's taken place, and they're participating together in the burial of their father. There's no hatred, and there's no animosity. And boy, you know, I think it's really insightful and and wise. You know what? Don't wait for someone to die to reconcile with somebody you're at odds with with. You know, make things right today. Just go and just say, hey, let's work it out. Let's figure it out together. Anyway, verse 11, and it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac. So the work of God that has begun in Abraham is now passed on to Isaac, and God continues that work through him. And it says, Isaac dwelt, at Berlehi Roy. And we've seen this before, Berlehi Roy. Remember, it's the well of him that lives and sees. And so now we're going to get a glimpse of Ishmael and his descendants uh, so God can put that part of the story behind us so then we can follow Isaac. We can focus on Isaac through Jacob and the lineage uh, of the Messiah, right, that is going to come into the world verse 12. Now this is the genealogy of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar, the Egyptian, Sarah's maidservant, bore to Abraham. And these were the names of the sons of Ishmael by their names, according to their generations. The firstborn of Ishmael, uh, Nabajoth, then Kedar, Adbil, Mibsam, Sam, uh, Mishma, Duma, Massa, Hadar, Tema, Jetur, Nafish, and Kedemah. You know, it cracks me up because you always see people, they want to give their, their kids a, a biblical name. I've never seen any kid have any one of these names. know I don't understand why. Anyway, verse 16, these were the sons of Ishmael, and these were their names by their towns and their settlements, 12 princes according to their nations. Way back in Genesis 17, verse 20, God uh, promised that he was going to bless Ishmael with 12 sons and he would make a great nation out of them. So we see this promise coming to bear here. Verse 17, these were the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years, and he breathed his last And died and was gathered to his people. It doesn't say that Ishmael's life was full like it said about Abraham, but it does say he was gathered to his people just exactly as it says about Abraham. And so, Bible teachers, scholars, they're divided over whether or not uh, Ishmael had a faith in God. I believe he did. At least I think he did at one time. Remember back in Genesis 21, we looked at the prayer of Ishmael when he was there in the wilderness and how God heard that prayer. And uh, we we made mention of where did Ishmael learn to pray like that? Well, he probably learned to pray like that from watching his dad. It seemed to me that to some degree, you know, he had a faith that he picked up from watching his dad. Verse 18, they dwelt from... Uh, Havilah, as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt, as you go to Assyria. So this is east of Egypt. This is east of the promised land. Says he died in the presence of all of uh, his brethren. As you've studied through Genesis, as we've studied through Genesis together, um, you know Abraham committed sin when he went into Hagar, and Ishmael was the result. And we see God blessed Ishmael with 12 sons. We just read that. Um, it's from these 12 sons that the Arab people, though, will trace their heritage back to Ishmael. And it, was, and it should be a reminder to each of us. Ishmael should be a reminder to each of us just how far-reaching sin can be. When you look at how far-reaching Abraham's sin was, uh, it, doesn't just, it didn't just affect Sarah. Abraham's wife, it didn't just affect Hagar and Ishmael, Abraham's son. All the problems in the world today that are traced back to Muslim terrorists, it's a direct result of Abraham's sin. Just think about how far reaching his sin has been, right? It's a, it has an effect on people even today. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that all Muslims are, or Arabs are bad You know what? I know a lot of Muslims. I know a lot of Arabs. They're just wonderful people. I love them. But you can't deny a lot of problems in the world can be traced back to the Arab people. And it all goes back to Abraham's sin. It shows you how far reaching Abraham's sin has been. And, And this is one of the reasons why. As believers... We need to have walks that are upright before the Lord. We have no idea who's watching or who's looking. We want to live our lives. We want to have a witness that shines for, for Christ. There are people that are watching. And you may be the only Christian that they'll ever meet in their life. And if you're willing to compromise in your walk and you're, you, you, you potentially set the stage Set in motion events that can ruin a person's chances from ever coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Do you think I'm overstating things? Well, how many times have you heard somebody say, you know, I can't believe it. I saw a Christian doing X, Y, and Z. You know, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. They just think they're so much better than the rest of us. But that's that's so far from the truth. They're just like the rest of us. They're no different than anybody else. You know, sin is just that far reaching. It can destroy another person's life, uh, their hopes at least of becoming a Christian. When we tell others that we're Christians, the compromises in our lives don't only affect us and our families. But those sins affect people around us and people that are also looking on from the wings. It it always affects the people that we love and the people that we're close to. But those compromises, again, affects people that that we have no even idea that they're even seeing what's going on. It compromises, affects people in ways we can't even begin to imagine. We're seeing in the world today the far-reaching effects of Abraham's sin and compromise that he certainly never would have imagined. Verse 19, this is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as the as wife, the daughter of Bethuel the Syrian of Padanaram, the sister of Laban the Syrian. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. If you look down to verse 26 real quick, you see that Isaac is 60 years old when Rebekah gives birth to their kids. So Isaac marries Rebekah when he's 40. So that means that she's been barren for 20 years. Has Isaac been praying for 20 years? Well, you know, we don't know. Maybe he's just been giving more attention to prayer as the years go by. And, uh, you know, uh, she's just been barren for that much longer. You know, as the years go by, the desire for kids becomes greater and the pain becomes greater. You know, when you have that deep desire for kids and you can't have them. Well, regardless, we don't know the details, but we know it's been 20 years. And, It does say that Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife. And to me, it's such a neat picture of Jesus Christ who always lives to make intercession for the saints, which are his bride. If this is a picture of the Lord in the church, then it should be a picture. Guys, listen. If this is a picture of the Lord in the church, then it should be a picture of you and I praying for our wives So far, Isaac, he's been this really neat example for us to look at. The faith that he had, the willingness to lay down his life there on Mount Moriah. Last week, we saw him in the field praying, meditating, communing before the Lord. And now we see him as this example to us as husbands, how he's pleading with the Lord for his wife. Guys, how important is it for us to be pleading, uh, with the Lord for our wives, praying and interceding for them throughout the day. And we see that God grants Isaac's plea. How encouraging to see people pleading with the Lord and then God granting their pleas. I think for me, one of the most loving things we can do is to plead with the Lord for our, for our spouses. You know, it blesses me so much when, Tina prays for me. You know, often before I I run out the door and and head off to the church office, uh, you know, I'll give Tina a hug and I'll pray for her. And then she prays for me and sends me off. And I tell you what, you know, it's so good for me to hear her pray for me, to know that she's praying for me throughout the day. It's so encouraging to me. And Isaac is pleading with the Lord because Rebecca is barren. And if you're aware you know, that there's a desire for growth um, in, an area of your, uh, in an area of your wife's life. Guys, you know, how much time are you praying for her? You know, I tell you what, I'm not even tell, saying this, again, out of any kind of condemnation. There was a time when the Lord spoke to me. I was, I was leading a men's ministry, and the Lord told me, Gary, you're praying more for the men than you are for your wife and kids. And it was a rebuke, and it was just like, Lord forgive me. Man, we need to love our wives enough to do battle for them, to press in and pray for them. Maybe you see a barrenness in, in someone's life. Maybe you see a barrenness in your wife's life that she wants to step out of. And, and, uh, you know, I encourage you to press in and plead with the Lord for that person or, or for your wife. Press in on their behalf. let, Let's love people enough that we're willing to do battle for them. Wives, maybe you're seeing an area your husband is struggling in, that he needs prayer. You know, love him enough to do battle for him. Maybe it's, you know, another family member, a son or a daughter, or, you know, extended family or friends. You know what? Let's love them enough to labor in prayer for those people. Prayer works. Prayer works. Prayer moves mountains. Prayer can bring a soul to heaven and bring heaven to our souls. Tina prayed for me for a year before I became a Christian, and as she prayed with me God or as she prayed for me, God opened doors for her to begin to share with me and I'm convinced I truly think because she had been praying for me, God gave her special insight. God gave her exactly what I needed to hear when she began to share Christ with me. And that's what made an impact on my life. And I tell you what, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for Tina's prayers. How thankful I am for her and her prayers. Verse 22, but the children struggled together within her. And she said, if all is well, why am I like this? So uh, she went to inquire of the Lord. Rebecca saying, You know, if you've prayed to the Lord for me, Isaac, why is my pregnancy so difficult? You know, what's going on inside of me? But that wasn't just enough to to say it to Isaac. You know, you've prayed. What's going on? What does Rebecca do? She goes to the Lord. She went to inquire of the Lord. Man, what a neat woman Rebecca is. We looked at her last week, and we saw that she was a beautiful woman, both physically and spiritually, She was a virgin. She was polite. She was kind to strangers. She was a selfless servant. She was a hard worker. She was hospitable. She was a woman of faith. She was willing to trust the Lord with her life. She was such a neat woman. And now we see her going to the Lord in prayer. There was a struggle in her life. And man, she just goes to inquire of the Lord. Some Bible teachers actually think that this verse implies that Isaac and Rebekah had a family altar, right? Because it says she went to inquire of the Lord. Abraham was an altar builder, and we're going to see Isaac also was an altar builder. Scholars think there was this family altar. It was a place where she could go, a place where she could get away and inquire of the lord and i just ask you is there a place where you can get away with the lord a place where you can just inquire of him and and find out what his heart is for you how i encourage you to find that place where you can just get away with the lord a place where you can meet the lord on the on a regular basis boy you know it's so needed especially in times of struggles. Verse 23, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. This is so encouraging to me too. I mean, she inquires of the Lord and the Lord speaks to her. Man, I think that's for some of us. Maybe the reason we don't uh, hear from the Lord is because we're not getting away to be uh, in His presence and to inquire of Him. Rebecca went and uh, inquired of the Lord, and the Lord spoke to her. You know, if you'll inquire of the Lord, He'll speak to you too. Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call upon me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. You know, I'm not very smart, but that sounds an awful lot like a promise to me. If we'll call upon the Lord, if we'll inquire of the Lord, he's going to answer us. He's going to speak to us. If there's some struggle going on in your heart, inquire of the Lord. Call on his name and he'll answer you in and show you what's going on with the struggle inside of you. Maybe the reason God's not speaking to you is that He's relegated to just a few hours on Sunday and a few hours on Thursday night. Um, maybe you're not hearing from the Lord because you're not taking the time or making the time to speak to Him, to seek His heart, to find out you know, what's going on, Lord. You know, what is it you're trying to show me through these struggles? What are you trying to tell me, uh, show me in these circumstances, Lord? How do you want me to navigate the situation that I'm facing? Well, Rebecca inquired of the Lord and the Lord said to her, two nations are are in your womb. The Lord said, well, here's your problem. Two nations are in your your womb and that's always going to cause problems when that happens. Two nations... He's talking about um, the Edomites, right? Uh, Esau was the father of the Edomites, and he's talking about the Israelites. Jacob uh, was the father of the Israelites. He says, Two peoples shall be separated from your body. There are two nations, two people, two natures in her womb. He says, one people shall be stronger than the other, and the other shall, uh, and the older shall serve the younger. So first off, it's talking about a birthright here. Normally, the birthright would go to the older uh, son. But God sovereignly says, no, the birthright is going to go to the younger in this case. And Paul picks up on this in Romans chapter 9. And he talks about how God sovereignly chose us. Paul says, before these two boys, before Esau and Jacob... Before they could do any good or evil, God sovereignly chose Jacob, even as he sovereignly chooses you and I. And as you get to know these two men, you see Esau, the firstborn, he had no desire for the things of God. Jacob, on the other hand, he was mindful of spiritual things. And God's choice was Jacob. You know, the story goes, that a lady once asked uh, or said to Charles Spurgeon, I can't understand why God uh, should say that he hated Esau. And Spurgeon's reply was, that's not my difficulty, madam. My trouble is to understand how God loved Jacob. You know, it's not that God hated Esau in the sense of cursing him in this life, you know, uh, not wanting to see him saved and therefore cursing him in the next life for all eternity. But you know what? He loved Jacob. That's not it at all. It's It's more that God rejected Esau and accepted Jacob. So we make a mistake if we think that God's choices are based on, you know, arbitrary reasons. His choices are not random. They're not senseless. They're made from an all-knowing heart of love and wisdom. And they're based on reasons we can't uh, necessarily understand. The other thing we want to see here is there's also a picture of Isaac entreating the father for his wife uh, that she would be fruitful. Now, There's never spiritual progress in our lives without warfare in regards to bearing fruit, in regards to putting aside our barrenness without a struggle. It's never going to happen. That warfare is always going to be there when we try uh, to just be fruitful. And the interesting picture here then is, is Rebecca now becomes this picture or a type of the church. The Lord says she has two natures within her the old one and a younger one the old nature it says the older is, is going to serve the younger it's the old nature the flesh versus this new birth in the spirit it's it's christianity what's being portrayed here when you get saved one battle ends but then you know that's the beginning of of another battle galatians 5:17 says for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. So you do not do the things that you wish. The the two are at odds with each other, the, the flesh and the spirit. And there's no other option. There's no way out. That's just the way it is. Spurgeon said, dead men don't wrestle. Before I got saved, there was no fight in this regard. You know what? I just followed the flesh. Everything was easy peasy, lemon squeezy. But a fight, the fight, it's actually a sign of life. It's the evidence of this new birth within us. There are two natures. Now they begin warring against each other. And the old nature of the flesh and the new nature of the spirit, they begin struggling uh, within. And you don't reform the old nature. You crucify it. It doesn't get any easier the longer you walk with the Lord either. If anything, it gets harder, it gets worse if you don't reckon that old man dead. You can't reform the old man. You know what? The old man is just as vile as the first day you got saved. We're not to allow sin to reign in our lives. The power of the flesh is broken in our lives through the new birth, through the power of the Holy Spirit operating in our lives. But the battle is always gonna be there if you wanna step out of your barrenness and be fruitful in Jesus Christ. There's always gonna be resistance when you seek to live this more fruitful life. I mean, there's a part of you that will fight to keep you within your comfort zone. And you can be assured, if you wanna step out of your barrenness and do something for the Lord, to serve in the church, to be a greater witness among your friends or co-workers, you're going to experience warfare. I mean, you know, write it down, tack it up to your mirror in your bathroom, read it every day because that's just the truth. There's going to be a fight. But in the final analysis, the old nature is going to serve the new nature. That's a promise. But it's a struggle for all of us. It's a struggle for you. It's a struggle for me. It's a struggle for all of us. It's just the way it's going to be. And we just need to make up our minds that we're going to press through the struggle and do what the Lord has called us to do. Verse 24. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed, There were twins in her womb, interestingly enough. I'm sure there was twins before this time, but this is the first time in the Bible twins are mentioned. And the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over. And they called his name Esau. Esau was this little, red, hairy baby. And that's what Esau means. It means hairy. Um, So they called him hairy. They called him Esau. You know, I've been to the Middle East. I've seen a lot of Middle Eastern men swimming. You know, that's so funny because they're wearing their Speedo. And uh, even with just a Speedo on it, it looks like they're wearing this loose weave wooly onesie. They got just hair all over their body. Uh, There are some really hairy guys over there in that part of the world. Verse 26, after his brother came out and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. uh, So his name was Jacob. Isaac was... 60 years old when they were born. So, uh, as Jacob is born, he comes out, he's grabbing his brother's heel. So, they name him Heel Catcher or Jacob. And the idea be, behind Heel Catcher in that day, it meant trickster, it meant con man, scoundrel, it meant rascal, it meant schemer. It, it wasn't a compliment. So, How old was Abraham when he died? Remember, he's 175. How old uh, was Abraham when Isaac was born? He's 100. So if Isaac was 60 when these two boys were born, that means when these two boys were born, Abraham's still alive. Um, He still is going to have influence on these kids. But before we get going, uh, could you imagine having twins at the age of 60? I mean, oh my goodness. You want to go to the, to the 50 and older Bible study, but you can't because there's no child care, you know? So, verse 27. I think strange things like that. I don't know. Uh, verse 27. So the, so the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. If you know any hunters, you'll recognize the literal meaning of this Hebrew expression, a skillful hunter. It speaks of a man who's addicted to roaming around the fields in search of game. Now, I don't know a lot of you very well because of COVID. You know, we, it hasn't allowed us to spend much time together since uh, I've been here in the church. But this description reminds me of Steve-O. I mean, stevo he's a hunter. He's a fisherman. You know, he's an outdoors man just probably a lot like Esau. Esau, he shopped at Cabela's. He had a subscription to Field and Stream magazine. You know, he was off the charts in regards to testosterone. He's got this hair all over him. I mean, he's a man's man. But it says, Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. So what do you think that means? Do you think that that means uh, Jacob wears sweaters and everybody he asks, or he sees, he asks if they'll be his neighbor. Whatever it means, the idea is that these two were opposites, right? Esau liked the field, hunting, searching for game, but Jacob was more of this mild-mannered guy. He he would rather sit in the house and maybe read a book. He's more of an inside guy, less adventurous. Uh, In fact, we're going to read very soon that he liked to cook. Nothing wrong with liking to cook. I like to cook. Uh, Verse 28, it says, And Isaac loved Esau. Isaac loved Esau. He loved this little red hairy boy. He had a special place in in his heart for that boy who loved being out in the field. But you need to read a little more and know why he loved uh, Esau. And it says, And Isaac loved Esau because, because why? Because he ate of his game. Esau, uh, Isaac loved to eat the game uh, that Esau brought home. He had a real appetite for game. And he allowed that fleshly appetite to blind him to spiritual things in regards to the two boys It was an appetite that's going to be reproduced in Esau, actually. And it's such a sobering thing for me to see how dads are reproduced in their sons. The good and the bad. And I don't know about you, but wouldn't you say it's sobering to see your qualities reproduced in your children? Again, the good and the bad. Abraham reproduced in Isaac. And Isaac was an altar builder. He was a man of faith. He was a man of prayer. He was a man of meditation. And we see that reproduced in Isaac. But now we're going to see this carnal appetite for food that blinds Isaac to spiritual things uh, be reproduced in Esau. And it says, but in contrast, Rebekah loved Jacob. Jacob probably liked to cook with his mom and his mom enjoyed the time that she had with her son. It may be that she actually understood to a fuller extent the prophecy that the older would serve the younger. Maybe she understood the call that was on Jacob's life and maybe she saw the potential of Jacob, which his dad didn't see in him, but she saw it and she loved him. I mean, either, whatever the case would be, you got one parent favoring one son or another parent favoring another son. It's the makings for all kinds of problems. Verse 29, now Jacob cooked a stew and Esau came in from the field and he was weary. He'd probably been out hunting in the field all day. He hasn't caught anything. I'm not a hunter, but I can just imagine you can be out there hiking up and down all the hills and, and never even see anything to get a shot off. Um, and now Esau, he's returned. He's been blanked in his, in his hunting venture, and he's weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with some uh, with that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Apparently, Esau, he has this nickname, he's called Red. That's what Edom means. It means red. And, uh, you know, he was a red man. He loved red stew. So they nicknamed him Red. Verse 31. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright of this day. Now, the birthright spoke of carrying on the father's name. The birthright spoke of a double portion of the father's inheritance. The birthright, in this sense, spoke of the covenant blessing uh, uh, God gave to Abraham it was passed on to Isaac from Abraham and it would normally then be passed on to the firstborn, Especially, uh, specifically it spoke of, of the part of the lineage promised to the Messiah, right? Abraham, Isaac, and not Esau, but Jacob would be in the lineage of the promised Messiah, the Savior of the world, Verse 32, and Esau said, look, I'm about to die. So what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose, went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. As we come to the end of this chapter, we see how foolish Esau, Esau was. He didn't see any value in spiritual things. He thought that they were of no value compared to his immediate needs. And so he sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. I mean, what a fool. He gave up that which was so precious for some short-lived gratification, you know, a bowl of lentils. He gave up tremendous spiritual blessing to fulfill his carnal appetite. What a fool he was. And what a fool Jacob was also. Here we see Jacob is also playing the fool. You know, it's here we see Jacob trying to achieve in his own scheming ways the promises that God had made to him. He's trying to bring about the promises of God and the energy of his flesh. Here we see Jacob trying to manipulate the situation so he could obtain the blessing of the firstborn. And this scheming and this conniving, it's something that God is going to break Jacob of. And we're going to see that in coming chapters. Um, If you have those tendencies, if we try to achieve in the flesh the things that God has promised us in the spirit, then he will, from this heart of love, He will break us of those tendencies also. And we need to be careful of trying to see the promises of God fulfilled in our own strength. Now, I can't tell you how that speaks to me in regards to what God wants to do in this church. The warning that it is to me not to try to make things happen in my own flesh. God spoke to my heart this week through a Bible study that I was listening to. And what the the pastor that was teaching the Bible study said, he said, walking by faith does not involve scheming. You know what? What a word that is. We can't seek to make the promises of God come about in the energy of our own flesh. God is going to break Jacob of manipulating things in his flesh and it's not going to be comfortable for Jacob when he does it. It's going, to be, it's going to be painful. And we're going to get to that in a few weeks, Lord willing. But God writes these things for our edification and for an example for us. And maybe this is a word for you this evening. Let go of the striving and the manipulation to get what God has already promised he's going to give to you. Well, as we close today... You know, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I pray that you would settle that issue today. No one's guaranteed a tomorrow. If God is moving on your heart, surrender. You know, if you say no to Jesus tonight, what happens, your heart just gets a little bit harder, and it's just that much easier to say no next time He tries to move on your heart. And if you want to know where you're going when you die, You know, all you have to do is turn to Jesus in faith. You know, confess that you're a sinner, that you've done wrong, and tell God that you're sorry for those things that you've done wrong. And then ask Him to forgive you and cleanse you of your sins. He'll turn, He'll turn to you and He'll meet you right where you're at. You know, it's really important too as you make, as you pray that prayer that you turn from your sins. You know, the, the, Biblical word would be repentance, but all it means is just making a U-turn. You know, you turn from your sins, you change your mind, you head the other way. You know, I was walking in sin, I met Christ, I turned around and I started walking for God. That's all that repentance is. You know, to be saved, you just, again, believe in your heart that Christ died for your sins, that He was buried, and three days later, He rose again. And you ask Him, just to fill you with this Holy Spirit, to give you the power to live this life, not in your own strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you'll do that, if you'll pray that from your heart, God will meet you, cleanse you of your sins, and make you a new creation. Let's pray. Father God, I do thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that you would just wash over us with your word and you would accomplish in us that eternal purpose that you had in mind for each one of us when you included this chapter in the Bible. Lord, help us respond appropriately to this study tonight, Lord. For those of us that maybe need to to ensure where we're going to go when we breathe our last breath, Lord, I pray you move on those people's hearts and that they would ask you for forgiveness of sins, and that you would meet them and cleanse them and write their names in your Lamb's book of life. Lord, for those of us that are maybe, you know, striving in, in our flesh and manipulating and scheming to, to try to get those things that you've already promised, Lord, help us to just release that to you and let you accomplish in our life all that you want to in your timing. Lord, you've been so good to us, Lord. You've blessed us with so much. You've done so much for us. Your good hand has been upon us, Lord, and we love you. We want to praise you for it. Let, again, your word work in our lives, the very purpose you sent it out for. Father God, we just pray for Calvary Chapel Truckee also. We all agree, Lord, that you would bless this church. You would establish this church afresh in this community, and you would use us as a church as a light, as a witness of Jesus Christ and His love in the community around us, in this town of Truckee, Lord. And you would bring families to us that would worship with us and and new believers that need to hear the message, Lord, that they would grow and that together we would just exalt you and magnify you, worship you. And that you would equip us for the work of the ministry. That you would send us out to share Christ with others that need to hear, Lord. Would you do that in us, Lord Jesus? We give you praise. We give you glory. We ask all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.